Well, good morning, Connection Christian Church. We're so glad that you've joined us today, and we're thankful for those who are watching online. We, we love our online church. Um, and so day, today we're continuing our series called It's Legal Right, and we're looking at um, if Christians should go uncensored. And let me just paint a picture of, of the, the irony of this situation this morning. So most of you know I'm freshly graduated out of Bible college, you know, green bean, just a little green bean walking out into this big world of ministry. I was recently ordained into ministry. I'm super excited about the commitment that I made then. Um, and so this is my first sermon as an official pastor. And guess what I get to talk about? Guess what I get to talk about? <laughs> Pornography. Isn't that, isn't that fun? So yeah, I get to talk about Pornography. And so here's what I want to do today. My goal today is I want to have an honest conversation about the dangers of pornography. And, and what I want to do is I want to remove the shame that exists kind of in our church culture, maybe not our church culture specifically, but in the culture of the church at large about talking about things of a sexual nature. And then I also want to um, offer support for those people who are struggling and also give some tips on how people who are around others that are struggling can help them. And how I want to do that is, first, I want to share my experiences with pornography. So we're going uncensored today. Um, and I want to look at the science behind why pornography is so bad for the mind. And then I want to look at the wisdom that Scripture has to offer us con concerning the topic of a, a healthy sexual ethic and pornography in general. So whenever I was about 10 years old, I uh, was living in Brownstown, Illinois, with my mom. I lived there part-time with her. Um, and then live part-time with my dad. But my mom, mom, she would let us go hang out at the park. She would let us, you know, ride around on our bikes and that sort of thing, which was a lot of fun. Um, just be home before the streetlights, you know, go, come on. And uh, there was one, one day whenever I was up there hanging out at the park, and there was always this group of teenage boys. I was 10. These boys were probably like 15. So they were cool to me. They, they, were, they were everything that, that was cool to me. And one of, the, one of the guys, he had a PlayStation Portable. Does anybody know what a PlayStation Portable is? Anybody ever seen one of those? That was big technology in 2010. If you were cool, you had a PlayStation Portable. And so he had this PSP, and he was up there, and there was this group of guys gathered around, and I wanted to know what they were looking at, you know, because I wanted to be cool too. And so one of the guys invited me. He said, hey, do you know what pornography is? And I was like, no. It was innocent at that point. I mean, I'd heard about it before, and you know, that sort of thing going to school, but I didn't know exactly what I was getting myself into. And so, you know, he showed me what was on his PSP, and there it was, explicit content. And so I remember feeling two different things in that moment. And of course, the first thing was excitement. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I want to know more about what's going on there. And so then that excitement was immediately followed up by shame. And some somehow I knew that what I was looking at wasn't okay. Something about this what was wrong. And what this excitement and what this shame led to was secrecy. Because I was like, okay, this is cool. I want to know more about it. But I don't want anybody to know because this is shameful or, or something bad might happen or somebody might look at me differently if they knew that I was looking at this stuff. And so that led to secrecy. And so I thought... As a kid, just 10 years old, I thought, okay, I can't talk to the adults about this because that's something you don't talk about with adults is sex, you know? And I remember we had a desktop computer at home, and that was the first place where I was able to explore uncensored content. And then I had a Kindle. Can you believe it? 
a Kindle, a paper white Kindle from Amazon that had a search engine on it where you could literally search anything and you could access uncensored content there. I had an iPod where you could do that, um, and then I had an iPhone at, an, at another point where you could view uncensored content. Um, but the most interesting way that you, could, you can do that w- with the devices that are available to us is I had a Nintendo 3DS. Who would have thought that a Nintendo 3DS would give you access to a search engine where you could look at that stuff? And so that, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy that we have that kind of access to content, even at a very young age. And whenever I looked into the statistics, 30% of all of the data, the trillions of gigabytes of data that is transferred over the internet, 30% of that is uncensored content. That's accessible through Nintendo 3DS, a PSP, a desktop computer, an iPhone, an iPod, all that stuff. So what happened is with this unlimited access, I had the ability to explore my sexuality completely uncensored at a, at a very young age, at, a, at an age where that should not have been happening. And so what that does is it, it, it messes with the way you develop. It messes with a lot of things. It messes with um, the way you develop into sexuality and, and all those sorts of things. And here's the science behind this, and, and this is the science part to t- that I want to talk about. Our brains are literally plastic. They're, they're literally shaped and they're molded by the things that we experience. They're shaped by the things that we see. They're shaped by the things that we feel and the things that we touch, the things that we hear. Literally every experience we have, it creates a pathway in your brain. And the way our brains are designed is they're designed with this reward system. And essentially what this reward system does is it's constantly gathering external stimuli about what was a good experience and and what was a bad experience. It basically helps us determine the value of our experiences. And so what happens is whenever we really enjoy something, there's a dopamine release that goes off in our brain. And this, this works with food, this works with anything, you know. So that's why if you, like, if you really like chocolate cake, it's because whenever you had it the very first time, you had a dopamine release in your brain and it created a new pathway for you to experience pleasure. And so dopamine, it tells, you, tells your brain what, what to remember by helping wire stronger and new connections. And then there's this phenomenon that happens in our brain, and it's called the Coolidge effect. And the reason we call it the Coolidge effect is because uh, President Coolidge, he was at a farm with his wife, and the farmer was showing them the, the, the rooster, and he was boasting that uh, this rooster could copulate with, could copulate and have a, tons of babies. And um, she, his wife said, tell that to President Coolidge. And he, uh, the farmer told President Coolidge, and then um, President Coolidge said, was that just with one, one hen? And the farmer said, no, he does that with all of the hens. And he said, tell that to Mrs. Coolidge. So that's where we, that's where we get this, this idea that this phenomenon that happens in our brain where once that, once that neurological path is established of, of accessing pleasure, it's established and it looks for something else. It's like, okay, this isn't as fun anymore. That's why whenever you eat just chocolate cake, for example. Whenever you eat it the first time, it's like, yeah. And then you eat it again, and it's like, oh, okay. And then you need to find something else because chocolate cake just doesn't provide the, um, the experience that it did the first time. And so that's what happens um, whenever we look at pornography, whenever we look at uncensored content. It provides access to anything of a sexual nature. It provides the, the largest release of dopamine that's natural to the human experience. 
And this creates a situation where we're, we get addicted to this seamless experience of this dopamine release. And eventually what happens is our reward system gets worn out. That system in our brain that tells us what we like and what we don't like, it gets worn out. It gets into overload mode from all the stimulation. And here's, here's the evidence, what the evidence suggests. Whenever our reward system is worn out, there's little space left for meaningful relationships, and there are significant mental and physical uh, effects to uh, having an addiction to pornography and the, the, the issues it causes with your reward system. And so there is significant evidence. There is a ton of evidence that suggests that the use of pornography leads to a lack of concentration. It leads to a low motivation. It leads to brain fog, memory issues. And in, in really extreme cases, it leads to um, depression, significant bouts of pre depression. And there's lots of studies that suggest that if it's experienced young enough, it actually has the potential to shape sexual preference. It has the potential to shape um, sexual identity. And so just so that you, th you know that I'm not just pulling all that stuff out of the air, um, there's a psychiatrist named um, Norman Deutsch, and he's the author of The Brain That Changes Itself, and he suggests that the intense stimulation of today's pornography hijacks and it rewires brain real estate that would otherwise be designated to make social ties rewarding. And he says that real people become less rewarding, fake people become more enticing, and perhaps, he says perhaps re re removing porn, it reopens space for natural rewards such as friends and partner. And that comes from the book, um, Your Brain on Porn. So the, the, the evidence, the, the scientific evidence behind the effects that uncensored content has on your brain is overwhelmingly um, in support of negative effects. And while that sounds scary for, for those of us who've experienced it before, there's also a lot of research that suggests that this, can be a re this rewiring in your brain can be undone because our brains are plastic, so pathways that are created can be uncreated. And um, in the book, Your Brain on Porn, um, it, it suggests that as users manage to abstain from porn, their desire to connect with others generally surges. And often so does their self-esteem, their ability to look others in the eye, their sense of humor, their opti optimism, and their attractiveness to potential mates, and so forth. And so we see that even, even secular science is completely, there's overwhelming evidence that suggests that having this access to uncensored content is, is probably not beneficial for our development, probably not beneficial to our health. And what's really interesting here is that one of the most prominent writers of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he takes a stance on a healthy sexual ethic that is completely supported by the scientific evidence behind it. Long before we knew what dopamine was, long before we really knew how the brain worked, um, and long before we even knew about the reward system that exists in our brain. And so, obviously, the, the same type of um, pornography that we have access today, access to today, didn't necessarily exist in the same form then, but the early church, in the church that Paul wrote to, they had their own, they had their fair share of um, unhealthy sexual practices and unhealthy sexual um, ethic. And so the word that shows up in scripture um, over and over concerning um, sexual immorality and, you know, that, anything of that nature is the word pornea, and that's where we get our word pornography. 
And essentially what pornea means is it's, it's just a, an overall arching word for sexual immorality. And basically, sexual immorality is just an unhealthy sexual ethic. I like to call, I like to call it an unhealthy sexual ethic because it seems a little bit nicer than, than screaming at people telling them they're sexually immoral. And lots of times the word pornea is also used um, to refer to a prostitute. Um, so that's where we get our word for porn um, in Scripture. And in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, um, Paul is addressing this. And what we see here is that Paul addresses the people who lived in, cult- in a culture where unhealthy sexual practices were everywhere. Um, and so much so that there were actually two mottos that gained attraction in the early church and also gained traction in the culture at large concerning um, a, sexual, uh, a sexual ethic. And the first one that we see is in uh, verse 12, and it says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so essentially what this motto said, everything is permissible to me, is that I can do whatever I want. I have the autonomy to do whatever I want, um, regardless of the consequences. And what's really interesting here is Paul, he does not argue with them. He, he's like, yeah, you, you are autonomous. You can make the choices that you want. But what Paul's point is, is, but what expense? At what expense? You have the ability to, to make the choices and make the decisions that you want. But think about what it's doing to you, is what Paul gets at here. And then he, he, there's another model that shows up, and that shows up in verse 13. He says, food is for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And so there's this other motto that comes up. Food is, is for the stomach, and stomach is for the food. And basically, what that motto was getting at is that, well, my body was created to eat food, so I'm going to eat food. And the counter to that is, or the other part of that is, well, my body was created for sex, so that's what I'm going to do. Um, and so that's the kind of the philosophy that they had in the, in the early church. That's the, the culture that surrounded them um, concerning a, a sexual ethic. And so Paul's argument is... That the body is, yes, the body was created to eat. Your body has the ability to eat. Your body has the, the ability to experience pleasure through sex. But that's not what your body was created for. Paul's argument is that the body is not for sexual immorality, but your body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. And so then you wonder, okay, what do you mean, Paul? What, do you, what are you talking about whenever you say the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body? And essentially what Paul's getting at here is that we were created for relationship. We were created for relationship with each other, we are created for relationship with God. And what we see in an unhealthy sexual ethic is that whenever we are living in that, whenever we have an issue with that, it removes our ability to have those connections in the way that God intended for us to have them. And so Paul actually, he gives an exceptional value to the human body. He says that this physical body, it's more than just a vehicle that we get to use for all types of pleasure, whether that be through food and whether that be for, through sex. It's a vessel of God himself. And he says, it's a, it's a vessel for us to experience relationship with other people. And then with this in mind, Paul suggests that our, our bodies are, are, are part of Christ's body. Uh, the very vessels in which God chooses to reveal himself to the rest of creation. So look what Paul says in, in verse 15. He says, don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? 
So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? And Paul says, absolutely not. He says, just get away from it is what Paul says. And so if you think about this for a second, it almost seems like Paul, Paul is moving in, in a world of extremes. And Paul's critics have always said, you know what, Paul, you're, you're getting a little too far off of the logical path whenever he tries to say that we're being joined to a prostitute if, if we're into these things. But what we see is actually that this is the point where Paul's logic and the science match up. Because look at verse 16. He says, Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For Scripture says the two will become one flesh, or become one body with her. And so Paul, he's saying, this sexual experience, it's bonding you to something that you don't want to be bonded to. And then the science says, this is bonding you to something that you don't want to be bonded to. So, I mean, hello, there's, there's something going on there that's similar. And so Paul's argument is this. You're literally training your body to bond to things. You're training your brain to bond to things through the act of sex. That's why sex is so important in creation is because it's one of the ways that we bond to, um, in the context of marriage, it's one of the ways that we bond to our spouse. And you're establishing a pathway in your brain in which your body most easily experiences pleasure. And Paul's argument is this. When our, when our minds are, are bonded to what's unhealthy, there, there's little room for healthy relationship, the, the room that was designed for, for love of self, and the room that was designed for love of each other, is preoccupied by a, a counterfeit version of what's real. And so his advice to those who, who struggle with this issue, is people who struggle with an unhealthy sexual ethic, is just get away from it, flee from it. And look at verse 18. This is what he says. He says, Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. And he says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you're, you're, you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. And so now Paul, he connects the idea of... Um, uh, an unhealthy sexual ethic with the idea of, of sinning and it's a sin that's committed against your body. But I think for us to really understand what he means by this, we have to understand what we mean by sin. And so sin is basically, it's just a fancy word for missing a standard or falling or uh, missing a mark, miss, missing a standard that's been set, um, been set for us. And so whenever we look in, in the Gospels, we know that the standard that Jesus set for us is in the greatest commandment is love for ourselves, love for our neighbors, and, and love for God. And so essentially what he's getting at is that this sin against yourself, it's you're literally unloving yourself. You're literally doing something that's harmful towards yourself. And so, and, and Paul continues to make the argument. He says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit literally dwells within you. And think about that for a second. You are literally a divine vessel. You are literally a vessel of divinity. God dwells inside of you. He makes his home inside of you. Think about that for a second. That, that is profound. The God who created all of these things, he chooses to dwell in us. And so his, he says, glorify God with your body. And we can glorify God with our body. God is glorified whenever we move towards wholeness in our minds 
and in our bodies. God is glorified whenever we move towards wholeness in our minds and bodies because if a healthy relational context is um, in the context of, of, or if pornography causes us to have established bonds that are unhealthy for us, then that's not a healthy environment for us. That's not a healthy environment for the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And so, that, we, we know that science is overwhelmingly um, in support of the negative effects of pornography. We know that scripture promotes a healthy sexual ethic all the way through. Um, but here's the support that I would offer. Here's the support coming from little green bean, right out of Bible college, 22 years old. Um, this is what I would say. Be, for, for those of you who, who are existing around somebody else who's struggling with this, whether that is sexual identity, whether that is pornography, whether that's anything of a sexual nature, um, this is the advice I would offer you. Be a safe person. Be somebody who is safe to be around. There was an adult that I had in my life at one point that their idea of keeping people from doing bad things was to shame them, was to, to create an environment where they were scared to do that thing. And that just doesn't sound healthy, does it? The idea of scaring somebody into something is not healthy. And it creates the, the environment, again, where people move into secrecy and move into hiding things. And, and that wears on your soul if you're hiding something. And so here's how you can be a healthy person. Be a safe person. Be an adult who helps remove the, sh- the shame, the, the, the culture of shame that exists around this whole idea of sexuality. Be a person who's ready to talk about these things. Because I guarantee you there are people in your circle who are struggling with these issues. Statistically, it's proven that there are. And you can do this by being educated about what people have access to, where they have access to it, and also being educated about, or or being prepared to, to talk to others about what they're experiencing. And if you have a story with this sort of thing, share it. Share your story. Let people know that, hey, there is wholeness is possible from things like this, these destructive habits. All right, and then my next idea is for, is for those of you who are struggling, and those of you who are struggling with an unhealthy sexual ethic. And I would just tell you, be a healthy person. Be a healthy person. And the way you can do this is you can reach out to a safe person. Reach out to somebody who you know has been through this who's been through, struggled with this, this, this issue before, and talk to them about what you're experiencing. Don't, don't hide from it. Don't be ashamed. Find a safe person. And then also, my, my second idea for you is, th- this is the one that was the most helpful for me. Be informed about the things that you're viewing. Be informed about how they affect your brain. And that goes for video games. That goes for um, even just uncensored content that we, find, that we come across in movies, and that definitely means the stuff that we have access to online. So be informed about what it does to your brain. Do some research about how the things that you view, don't take my word for it, you know, look, look into these things, because what you'll find is that, wow, these things are not healthy for me, and if I'm going to be a whole person, if I'm going to be a healthy person, then there's some habits that I need to change, or habits that I need to remove from my life. And the third thing I would say is, Set up some systems. Set up some systems that hold you accountable for, for viewing content like this. And there are several different um, ways that you can do this. Um, there's, a, there's an app that's available in, in the app stores that's called the Blockade app. And that um, is useful in um, preventing looking at um, uncensored content. Um, there is, uh, 
you can set restrictions on iPhones, you can set restrictions on um, Samsung phones, that sort of thing. Uh, but there's another app that's been really effective. I haven't used it, but it's been really effective for uh, my friends. Is uh, it's, it's Covenant Eyes. And essentially what this app does is it forces you to um, have an accountability partner. It forces you to uh, share the struggle with somebody else. And then that person, um, you and that person can work through the issue together. So... Yes, it's legal. It's legal in America to, to view all these horrible things, all, these, all this content that um, is, it, it has a negative effect on our body, it has a negative effect on our mind. But here's the deal. Overcoming a destructive habit like this, it does not happen by a collective shaming of the practice. It does not happen by a, a collective um, outcasting of those who are suffering with these issues. It happens through a love for one another and a love for ourselves that says, I'm going to prioritize my health. I'm going to do what I need to do so that I can be healthy, so that I can be a whole person, so that I can love me, I can love those around me, and I can love God well. And then also hold space for people. Hold space where people can feel safe to, to talk about these issues. Because it's legal, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's beneficial. Now pray with me. Father, we are so thankful that you have given us a body of believers. You have given us a people in, where, in which we can have a safe environment, in which where we can talk about hard topics that come up in, in our culture and, and hard topics that come up with, with, um, with people as we're going about our lives. And Father, I just ask that you would give us the ability to be safe people. Help us to, to be that environment where people feel welcome and people feel safe to to talk about these issues that they're struggling with. And, and God, help us to be healthy people. Help us to have the passion and the drive and the knowledge, the information to move towards wholeness, to move towards being holy people. Because God, we know that in order to, to be all that you've created us to be, God, we need each other and we need these relationships, Father. So help us to pursue that. Help us to pursue holiness. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.